Life is full of personal wins. Whether it's cleaning your house, getting that dream car, or checking off your to-do list, winning at life is a great feeling. And with the State Farm Personal Price Plan, you can keep winning when you create an affordable price just for you by bundling home and auto. So give yourself a round of applause. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Now entering Nerdist.com. Can you hear us okay? Very good. Yeah. Hello. 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 Uh, this is the Nerdist Podcast. We're here at Comics Comedy Club in New York. That's almost too much comedy, I think, in a comedy club. Comics, comedy, comedy club But this is where I happen to be performing this weekend. We're sitting with Jim Gaffigan, who's here. Hooray! Thank you. Um, Morning zoo clap. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Jim. So, uh, this is good. What do you got? You good? You got the comedy train. Okay. It's the Johnny Z and the Dickhead Show. We sent Dickhead out to clean up some porta potties. <laughs> um, we were just talking about stand-up comedy books that we read when we were younger, and I said I had read Stand-Up Comedy: The Book by Judy Carter when I was in college. Yes. And while I probably wouldn't read it now, right. it actually, you know, anything that gets you to think in the direction of writing is not a bad thing. Yeah, I mean, also watching a lot of comedy, like watching the comedy you like, and then just picking that apart, I think is just as good. Yep. Yeah. What you What did you watch when you were growing up? You're You're younger. You're a lot younger than I am. I'm younger. Yeah, but a decade, right? Let's not. Why would you have to quantify it? Let's I just. Let's just go back. Yeah. than us. Let's just uh, say. Uh, I I grew up watching um like you know Comedy Central really got going when I was like uh in like fifth and sixth grade. That's and, uh, adorable. <laughs> <laughs> I was in college watching the Comedy Channel, watching the Higgins Boys and Gruber um, and Mark Maron on the, the the Comedy Channel. Yeah. Before it was yeah. Comedy Central. There was there was a there was a lot of there was like the A List was on and there was uh, also those uh, those compilation shows on Comedy Central like Stand Up Stand Up and Short Attention Span Theater, which so, like, were the death knell of yeah. all those. Sh- Here's Ted Comics talking about the same thing. There was like yeah. Exit yeah. 36 that uh, Amy Sedaris. That was Exit 57. 57. Yeah. Yeah. But that was after that, that. Those sketch shows came on after Kids in the Hall was over, and it was like that vacant lot, which had Mark McKinney's brother mm-hmm. and uh, what's the other guy's name? 
but uh, is this code? Yep, it's recording. Uh, yeah. No, but like, yeah. So I, I, I don't know. Like, uh, I just watched what was. There was no comedy scene in Hawaii that was good comedy. It's all just racial based in Hawaii. Do you perform in Hawaii ever? I'm actually going to Hawaii in May. Oh, really? We're in Oahu. At, in Maui and uh, the Blaisdell Center. The Blaisdell Arena. That's where I saw my first concert, Metallica. Now, even though Jonah looks like he is from uh, Portland, he <laughs> is actually, he's Hawaiian. He was actually born and raised in... in uh, a native Hawaiian. He is a native yeah. Hawaiian. Yeah, well, my More family's been there. a little Filipino there. Just you a can, little bit. Just a yes. smidge. Yeah, yeah. I love vinegar so much. <laughs> <laughs> is that a thing that Filipinos love? A lot of Filipino food has vinegar. I guess, I, see, that's the kind of thing. There's no... Th well, nothing, so, so there's nothing from my upbringing really can like be <laughs> equated to like uh, making people understand. There's not a lot of universality. No, too. none really. It's like every time, um, every time, like you know, like people ask me why I don't talk about Hawaii or growing up there. It's just because there's so much else you have to know to like you right. know to understand why I don't like Samoans or you know there's like there's just a lot you gotta know. <laughs> Some Samoans gonna hit you in the face. It's happened before. It'll be just like growing up. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Um, so Jim Gaffigan, yes, sir. when you first started, when you were doing comedy, like what, what shows did you do, your first television shows? The first show I did was Caroline's Comedy Hour, nice, which was um, very exciting. And, um, but I, you know, I, you know, you know there's no Comedy Central mm -hmm. when I started, obviously. And, um, but I remember watching MTV Half Hour Comedy Hour. Yeah. yeah. And watching it and going, you know what? I think I can do this. <laughs> so it was kind of, especially that show. I, I feel like I remember half hour comedy hours being like, yeah, like it was okay, but it wasn't. Yeah. Uh, it, it wasn't, you know. But some of it is just like any season of any stand up show. Right. Once you get to that third one, mm -hmm. that third season. Then they're like, all right, what else do we got? <laughs> yeah, you know? that's when like other people start getting opportunities. People yeah. just shut. Yeah. By the way, I don't think Caroline's has changed their set or color scheme in that club no. since that time. It's still that like purple, yellow, orange, yeah. or whatever it is. And also, you know, I did Caroline's probably their fifth season, so I'm, <laughs> By that time, I'm part of that same element. The colors of the Harlequin they yes. went with. Caroline's. Yes. It was, uh, yeah, it was very exciting, and I was I was terrified, and uh, and it was a big to do, you know, because that was like, you know, it's like. I feel like stand-up comedy, you're always trying to build up credentials to have legitimacy, mm -hmm. you know, to stop that conversation. I mean, it, it feels like it's different now, but back then it was like very much, oh, you're a comedian? Have you been on uh, Letterman? Right. Or The Tonight Show? No. Have you been on any of these, you know, Evening at the Improv? No. Then you're just a lunatic. <laughs> and now it's like, you know, just a sadist. with podcasts and everything, you know, and... The underground alternative scene people, I think, have a different context for it. Yeah, I mean, there's guys like like Jake Johansson who've done Letterman. I mean, you've done Letterman a bunch too. Yeah, and I think he's done it like I don't know how many times he's done it, but I think it I must think be it's like close to thirty or what? maybe forty times. Wow. Forty, forty times. Wow. Unbelievable. Do you is the do you find that um, people are recognizing you from the Letterman appearances or from the talk show appearances, or do you feel like ah, it's not? It doesn't have the same impact that it used to have. Yeah, no, no one really. I mean, um, you know, yeah, the Letterman thing. It's weird because it's obviously you know with all these shows like The Daily Show and Colbert and. You know the Kardashians and all this other. Are crap. they doing stand up on the Kardashians? Yeah, no, that'd be amazing. All these, all these options 
there's no, you know, there's no nighttime destination to watch these like. There's no shows. focal point of uh, yeah. any entertainment. Yeah. It's just, uh, I mean, I would say, you know, Letterman, some, some, Conan, some, you know, like the nerds, mm-hmm. you know, like me that would watch <laughs> Conan, you know, but other than that, you know, not really, you know, it would never change your life. You know, supposedly there's the story of like, uh, I can't remember his name, but you know, like if you did the Tonight Show, obviously it would change your life. But also, if you did the Tonight Show and you announced the date, it would sell it out. Mm-hmm. But you know, now we all know you do a TV appearance, and it doesn't it doesn't even sell tickets. <laughs> yeah. Not a ripple, you know I mean? not yeah. one ticket. Well, that's what uh, Drew was talking about, where he said he was like like the day after he did Carson, Drew Carey. Drew Carey. Uh, yeah. It was like the day after he did Carson. His life was different from then on. Wow! Like there was, he said, and he said that hasn't. He doesn't see that happening to anybody anymore. Definitely not. I mean, would you? Are you glad that you started when you did, or would you? Do you think it? Like, did the thought of just starting right now is that terrifying to you, or do you feel like there are more opportunities now? I think, um, I think it would be better to start now. Yeah. Because I think that when I started, I started in like that post cable you know, a short attention span, kind of in that era, mm-hmm. maybe not short attention span, but A&E and MTV Half Hour Comedy Hour had kind of, there was a comedy boom in the 80s, and so then in the 90s, you know, all of them closed, but then there were all these comics, so there was no stage. <laughs> Where did we go? So it's, this a, is before, it's almost like, like a homeless problem. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's like, there, and there was no, like, there was no alternative scene, there was no bringer shows. right. It was literally, you know, you take a train out to Long Island and see if you can get on their showcase show. Right. You know, or you bring four people to, I mean, even though I said that there's no bringer shows, but there was like maybe a bringer show at the Boston Comedy Club. But there would be open mics with just literally insane people. And I would do poetry readings, you know. <laughs> there was no option. How do, they, how do they take that to the poetry reading when you're trying to do comedy? Are they like, you're not taking the art seriously? Or did they find it refreshing? Well, yeah, there's different poetry readings, you know, there's, you know, the poetry slam stuff that I wouldn't do, but, um, yeah, they're pretty crazy. They're like comics. They're pretty crazy. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. They're so into themselves. They don't know what's going on necessarily. They have a peer group that they might pay attention to, but it kind of, uh, you know, it definitely influenced some of my writing and, you know. This next poem is, stalled, is called Stop Fingering Me, Daddy. And now comedian Jim Gaffigan. Oh, yeah, no, on. it was a lot of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Was, I, and I was a little bit of a break from some of that heavy stuff. Yeah, yeah. I would go sometimes, uh, when I was starting off, um, I would sometimes go to a, like a music open mic and say, hey, do you mind if I, I'm, I'm yeah. trying to do stand-up, do you mind if I just do a few minutes? And they're like, yeah, they would get excited because it would be a break from, you know, all these sad sack acoustic guitar guys. Yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. I remember for another I, kind of sad sack. The, fir- the first time I ever saw you in person, I was at um, the Aspen Comedy Festival in '99. Wow. I did a little comedy movie, and they, they the the film program for the Aspen Comedy Festival or the U.S. Comedy Arts Festival, formerly in Aspen, Colorado. Um, they were just starting a film program, so they brought us out there, and um, and you were the guy that everyone was talking about after we saw you perform. Like, holy shit, that guy was fucking amazing. Oh, really? And then, yeah, seriously. <laughs> it never feels like that. That's a decade-old compliment. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, people... What did they say? Ten years ago. I mean, I, I know this has sort of become kind of the bane of your existence, but people were talking about the Hot Pocket bit for, you know... I saw you in uh, Jordan Brady's movie, the I Am Comic movie, which oh, yeah. was awesome. Oh, really? Really great movie. And uh, just sort of seeing what happened and... The fact that the Hot Pocket company sends a guy dressed like a fucking Hot Pocket to... 
your shows. I it's, saw one at the when you premiered your hour, yeah. your last hour special. Yeah, it's very, you know, that's, you know, that was, you know, that was my agent thinking, you know, like my television agent thing, hey, this would be funny, I'll invite the hot pocket people <laughs> after we had sent cease and desist orders and all this stuff. But, um, no, but like, the, you know, it's weird. It's like the hot pocket thing. It's like, you know, I, I never do it outside, you know, I'll do it at theater shows. I'm an observational, you know, uh, you know, I you know, I'll do it at the end because the people would be like furious. So like I drove an hour and a half for my 15 year old son to hear that. To hear the words hot pocket come out of your mouth. Yeah. And, (laughs) but there is something about that. You know, it's an incredible blessing. It changed my life, but it's like, you know, you know, thank God for the popularity of that bacon chunk. But (laughs) it's like now, now beyond the pale is, um, it was licensed to uh, CMT, so like there's a whole other audience. Oh that's my god! Be. Wow! But it's it's all good. You know, it's hard to complain. You know, it's kind of, of like course. I'm so tired of getting massages. You know but, yeah. I mean? like, but we call that complain bragging. Yeah, I've run out of pockets to stuff cash in. What a, this <laughs> no, is terrible. But it is like you know. Do, I mean, I don't need. You know, people yelling "hot pocket." I mean, people literally when you're just me. walking down people the street, just literally go "hot pocket." Yep, and yeah. it's just like. All right, you know, <laughs> I get it. And to you, it's just a thing. It's just a bit that you wrote. It's just one of them. You if know? you if you had another, do you have another bit you would rather people yell at you? Um, yeah, I, yeah. I, maybe say, "Hey, Jim." <laughs> Jim, how are you? I hope I you're know, well. I, I know that bit. How's your family? How are how are things? But it's it's pretty strange. I mean, but prior to the hot pocket thing, there were you know, if people knew who I was, it was because of this manatee bit. Mm-hmm. And so, like, there, you know, hopefully it'll change. You know, I mean, you know, this is all the perception business. So you're like known as the guy who did this. You're the guy from this. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I'm sure you've had three different ones, right? I've had a few. The guy <laughs> and from it's, the. Yeah. And there's a little bit of, you know, initially you're kind of like, wow, they actually know who I am. And then you're like, well, I'm not just the guy from the boat show. Right, you know right, I mean? right. I'm not just the guy from the dating show. But what's so funny is that people, they, you know, when they see you on television, they get very comfortable with you yeah. and they feel like, I can say anything to that guy. And yeah. then they come up to you and they kind of want to, in a weird way, control you like a puppet. Do that thing you do or say that. Like they yeah. want to control you like a video game. And, um, but they also feel like, it's okay. I don't know if they feel like it's okay to be honest or if they feel like, hey, everyone probably kissed this guy's ass. I'm going to lay it on the line well, for yeah. him. Someone after the boat, after Shipmates started, came up to me and was like, hey, bro, saw your latest show. Not your best work. And she's like, I'm a human being. Yeah, no. Well, I feel like, I mean, I have two things to say about that. Like, one of them, I was literally recently in the San Francisco airport. Great food in the San Francisco airport. Yeah. And so I ordered a meal uh, from a Mexican place, and they give you like a, one of those flashing things where you stand there and then they flash. So right. you can't leave. So I'm kind of like there, got my receipt, got my flashing thing. And this guy comes up to me and he goes, and he's like in the Hollister shirt and he's like early 20s. And he's like, hey, has anyone ever told you you look like Philip Seymour Hoffman? I go, yeah, I get that a lot. And he goes, so are you? <laughs> I, go, I, I go, no, I'm not Philip Seymour Hoffman. But again, if, in any other situation, I would just leave. Right, you know? right. But I'm kind of trapped. And so he goes, so then he goes, well, 
why do you sound like him? And I'm like, <laughs> I was like, well, <clears throat> maybe I sound similar to him, but I'm not him. I get that a lot. I'm taller than him and much better looking. <laughs> and so I tried to, and so then he goes, yeah, well, I think you are him. And I'm like, well, you know, I told my wife later, she was like, why, do, why don't you just show him your ID? I'm like, because he doesn't need to see my ID. That's, he doesn't, he doesn't, he's not an official. And he yeah. wouldn't leave. He was just kind of like, and this is not some insane person. This is like a guy in his 20s who's traveling who's just like, that's Philip Seymour Hoffman. I'm an indie film detective, and I just need to make sure you're not <laughs> Philip Seymour Hoffman. He, he refused sure to out. let it end because he thought that I was Philip Seymour Hoffman denying just to end the conversation. So it was like, eventually he was like, I'm just going to tell people I met you. And I go, go ahead. That's fine. Where was his, like, what was his next, like, if you said, yes, I am Philip Seymour Hoffman, he's like, okay. And then, like, what would be his next thing? It seemed like that was his Twitter. Whole... I have this yeah. creepy role I need you to play in a movie. Yeah, exactly. I've been planning on raping your face for a while, and let's just go I in the closet. I just didn't want to make another mistake. <laughs> you know it would be yeah. funny if he went over to, like, the airport house phone and paid Philip Seymour Hoffman and then just waited to see if he picked yeah. up the phone, like, that was his test. Yeah. Yeah, it was very strange. But there's something weird about it because there is something about... Like, I, I identify with, like, when when you would see someone... Like, I remember, like, uh, you know, I've lived in New York for 20 years, and I saw Paul Reiser on the street, you know, 15 or 18 years ago, and I was like, holy shit, that's Paul Reiser. <laughs> and so I went up to him and I said, hey, uh, enjoy your stuff, and I left. But I would... <laughs> You know, maybe it's the Midwestern in me, but I wouldn't corner him and kind of like say, hey, so what do, what do you do this? How do we do that? You know, It's a bad combination when you get recognized by a flawed human being. <laughs> and you know that they're just not going to let you go. Yeah. But the irony is also that like the, the same gumption that it takes to go on stage is the same gumption that someone would have to approach them. So like really these people coming up to you are in a way us. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's the same audacity. Although I feel like I'm, I'm terrified to go up to people and say anything to them, and it's very rare that I do. But like, yeah. did I talk about meeting Steve Martin on this podcast already? No. I, I can't remember if no. I did. I haven't. I the when I went back to perform at Aspen to do stand up at Aspen in 2001, uh, I was at the St. Regis Hotel, which is sort of the main hub at the festival, and Steve Martin was just sitting in the lobby, and I he you know idol, he was my idol. A comedy idol and I went up and you know I was totally out of breath and I just immediately went into fanboy mode and then his eyes just kind of glazed over I mean there was no this is really you're the reason I do comedy and like all these words were rushing to yeah, get out of yeah, my yeah. mouth at once and I couldn't quite do it and it was and I became I, be, I mean I wasn't the show me your driver's license right yeah but um yeah so there's something innocent behind it yeah you want to connect with yeah. the people that you see you want to feel like you know, hey, you've given me stuff. I yeah, just want to tell are, you hi. They're very complimentary. Very sweet. Yes. Yeah. And um, you know, you know, it's like if, but if you're like if in my case, but if you're if I'm holding a three year my three year old son who's just like, you know, uh, filled his diaper or whatever. Right. It's like it's not time for like a photo. Yeah. <laughs> you know I mean? Can I get my picture with you? It's hey, like, look at this fucking guy. No, yeah. my kids are right here. Could you not? <laughs> yeah. Could you not yell to your friends? Well, I was in Vegas once, and I was walking through uh, the lobby, and I saw uh, Stephen Wright, and I was a huge Stephen Wright fan growing up, and I was just like, I was kind of been up all night and really messed up, and I was like, I was like, I just want to say thank you, you know, just like, hey, I really like your stuff, you know. I didn't want to. I didn't want to like get into a conversation with him or anything, but I went up and I was like, uh, Mr. Wright, I just want to say my name's Jonah and I'm a really big fan of yours. I do comedy now and, you know, you were a big part of that when I was growing up. And then he's like, oh, wow, thanks, man. 
And then I like, but he had food, and I was like, well, nice. He's like, so what are you doing in Vegas? And I was like, oh, well, I just, yeah, I'm here for a friend's uh, thing, just hanging out. Uh, but I know you're busy. He's like, oh, cool, man. Well, and then we just ended up, <laughs> he wanted oh. to talk, and we ended up talking for about 45 minutes, just like shooting the shit. Like, At the end of the conversation, him. he was like, all right, I'm getting the line. I'm just going to wrap up this conversation with <laughs> one more thing. That's how good he yeah. is, 45 minutes. He's, he's very tight in conversation. <laughs> yeah. And then you said he invited you to the show. Yeah, I started walking away. Wow. He's like, hey, Jonah. And I was like, yeah. He's like, would you and your friends want to come to the show tonight? And I was like, fucking, hey, right. Yeah. Like, I was, I was so, like, it was really just, he was so awesome. Like, it's so nice and very The point inviting. of that story the is. The sad thing is, at the end, he goes, uh, Stephen Wright said, I bet you would. See you later, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> then he flipped you the bird. He flew me the away. bird. Why would he do that? But it was in a very dry way that was hilarious. Yes. Whatever he does is funny. I think it would be great if you were like, and he was so high energy and he was hopping yeah. around. Yeah, he was silly. I asked him what was in his bag. Guess what? Props. He had all these props that he made. That's how he kills time. Have you ever seen, um, there were a few uh, like seminal stand-up comedy specials for me, when I was growing up, one of them was the ninth annual Young Comedians, but the Rodney Dangerfield ninth annual Young Comedians. I don't know why that one stuck out, but it was like Kinnison and Louis Anderson and Rita Rudner and Saget was on it, and all the you know it was like it was a big it was a big yeah, deal at the time. Yeah. And then there was another one in the '90s that was like Janine and Judd Apatow and uh, and Kindler was on Dark, it. Uh, Drake Sather was Drake Sather, I think, was on that. Yeah, yes, yes. Right. And Kindler was this like. Kid. Skinny, wiry kid yeah, yeah. who jumped around the stage like a mad hobbit. <laughs> and just when you know his, I mean, he's one of my favorites, but yeah. when you know his act now, he just kind of stands in one place. Yeah. But yeah. watching him jump around and go, yeah, was that is amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Did you ever do any of the, those young comedian no, specials? No, no. I was, uh, you know, I always had wanted to. But it's amazing when you look at those specials now, like some of them were like at. Catch a Rising Star, mm -hmm. and some—it's like literally, it, you know, it was definitely pioneer times because <laughs> you know, I mean, comedy is some of its, you know, it's timing specific, but like some of those, you're like, whoa, you know, like it's, you know, sometimes there's new faces at Aspen or whatever, and you know, then you know, a year later, they're like, I'm a publicist now, right, right, <laughs> like. These, you know, that those HBO comedy specials, that was like the cream of the crop. They all launched. And yeah. some, but some of those people, you're like, uh, you know, it wasn't working. You know <laughs> right, I mean? right. It's like, it's not just the fact that it was, you know, it's 2010 and it was 78. Right. It was just like, wow. That you was, that was the cream of the crop then. Yeah. You know, so. Now, I, I um, one of my favorite things about, because I've seen you live many times, played at the Wiltern last year. Is uh, you write in a way that I I I, I wish I could write, um, but I I think of your and I hope you take this as a compliment. But I I see what you do as sort of a really comprehensive Wikipedia thing where you introduce a topic, and then you manage to uh, hit it from as many angles as seems humanly possible, and every joke is just as strong as the one that was before it. I mean, what? What's your process like? Do you just go, oh, this thing that I kind of want to tackle, and then you just start writing punches for it? Well, there is, you know, Jeannie and I, you know, my wife Jeannie, um, it's, it's, you know, it's like, you know, you do stand up for a couple of years and you just end up getting into a certain kind of method of mm -hmm. doing it and you might evolve and change. But some of it is, you know, the price of introducing a new topic, I feel is kind of exhausting to the mm -hmm. audience. And, and there's also kind of like, you know, 
you know, getting all the chicken off the bone, everything's about food with me. <laughs> it's, uh, it's like, so there is something about like, uh, you know, you find a topic and then, you know, you, you, you tear it apart. And if you have like 10 jokes, then, you know, there can even be jokes that are not A's, but within the context of the other jokes, it can, it can survive and be very helpful mm -hmm. and, so I don't know. I mean, it's weird. I you know, it's definitely like how Carlin did things, you know, or how I aspire. How he, you know, like his chunk on suicide, I think is just that's like, one of my favorite uh, pieces just, of comedy ever. It's just so thorough, and so like different styles of and different you know comedic approaches to one topic, and it's done in a very concise manner. And you know his master mastery of language was you know nothing that anyone can get close to. But I don't know. We just kind of write from you know the top down. I've never heard the Wikipedia thing. It, it feels that's what it, that's what it sort of feels like. It's like a topic, and then all the angles on that topic. Yeah, I mean it's all you know, and it's different you know different points of views and um, it's placement stuff. You know, there's. It's weird because like I have like certain topics, but you just get so sick of these topics. It's like, you know, we're working on whales, and there's, and then there's the cli the comedy cliche bag where you're like, you know, it's like I've got stuff on hotels, and it's just like it's like comedy cancer. You're like, well, I don't know how we're gonna, <laughs> we're in this. It's a new hour. We've got hotels, but like, let's try and reinvent this based mm -hmm. on common knowledge of what is horrible you know like you know just the comforter being covered with you know sperm or whatever right it's just like let's try and make it sperm whales you know Do you see where we're going with this yeah whale no, hotels well, that's, you know so like there's something uh about being really thorough that you know i feel like gives you an allowance to be a little bit infantile and a little simple and um it seems to be working but you know I don't know. It's like, I, I think comedians kind of write the way they write. You know, it's right. like Louis Black just gets up there and, you know, obviously it's organized, but it's, you know, it's done from a passion and he just throws it out there and then he writes as he goes. That's what Louis C.K. does. And, I, I, and Louis is another guy who's yeah. like, he's sort of like a, like a coach, like a comedy coach in the way that, yeah. you know, I, I, I'd open some shows for him and I said, oh, I, you know, I, it was something similar to what you said about hotels, like, Oh, I couldn't write a, a premise about, you know, airlines. It's so hacky. And he was like, hey, there's no hacky premises, only hacky delivery systems. And I'm like, uh, yeah, I guess I see that. But I yeah. still, you know, I still, and he's another guy that won't write anything down. He just goes up and works it out. Right. Yeah. Which I, is, I can't do I'm that. not as good at doing that. I kind of have to have a few uh, You know, I have points. a horrible memory and I'm also very, you know, mumbly and I don't speak in complete sentences so it's like and I think wording and phrasing is is so important but you know like the hacky topic turning it into something um new is I mean I think there's no one like Brian Regan you know, oh my god like, yeah I mean it's like you know my wife and I Jeannie and we were talking about this and it's like you know a lot of what I do is kind of like very, you know, not stylistically, but it's my approach to stand up, I feel, is very Brian Regan like, you know, with Carlin and all that. And so there is something about like, you know, I mean, I just think Brian Regan's like the best, but, you know, 
I mean, I'm very influenced by Attell, and Attell is very thorough too. Mm-hmm, yeah. And um, you know, and also throwing a lot of stuff out. Attell throws a, you know, it's like his crumbs would be anyone else's act. <laughs> oh my God, you know? he once. I saw him at the Improv once. And for some reason, it just rubbed the crowd the wrong way. Yeah. But I folded in half, laughing so hard. He referred to Eskimos as snow Mexicans. And I thought that was the most amazing. Just it was just the way that he's like, God, oh, Eskimos are like snow Mexicans. And and I, maybe it was because with Los Angeles and just yeah, the word yeah. Mexican can uh, kind of yeah. people automatically the PC shutters just yeah. go up. But um, but as a comic, I was like, Oh my God, that's such brilliant imagery, even yeah, well, if it's. Slightly yeah, and it tells so much. It's like it's just like I'm one of these guys who just loves talking about comedy. So it's like you got me on a tear. But like, Attell is like I think, like one of the great comedic minds. And like his approach to stand up, is uh, you see it in Louis uh, C.K. and you see it in Todd Barry. And you know like there's some style, but it's all substance. Like Attell is like, feel free to despise me, but you will laugh at this joke. And so like it's. You know, it's the anti-salesmanship. Mm-hmm. You know, like the yeah. salesmanship in New York when I started was considered. You know, that's like the worst crime. <laughs> the worst crime is to have, um, you know, to win them over and they like you and right. you trick them. It's the material and the jokes that are way more important. That's why Kevin Brennan has kind of his delivery and. Atel has it's just a little bit of like on your heels the jokes will do the work and it doesn't matter about you Mm -hmm. I think that's great because you see there's a whole generation of comics from that area and I see that I see that consistency yeah you know I mean when I was when I was starting to screw around with comedy in college it was the it was right when the whole uncabaret San Francisco alternative yeah you know, and they they know they hate that word. I know they hate the word yeah. alternative. I just don't know what else to call it. But um, but it was anti joke. You were not allowed to tell jokes. You were not allowed to try, quote unquote. You had right. to just bring a notebook on stage and be like. And most of most of the jokes ended with, yeah, I don't know. So that was just something I thought. Yeah. And then this next thing, <laughs> and then something yeah. funny. Yeah, and then it had to be something that happened to him that day, or you know. Yeah. Right, and then just, there was like this slow evolution process of like you know no matter what the audience is they still want some jokes you know like maybe if it yeah. means changing your bank of references that's a little more alternative but still you know they still want to see jokes then it kind of evolved back into jokes into into jokes. What's funny because like when I when I started doing open mics in L.A. Uh, around you know two thousand two. Um, I know there was like that's when uh, you know Zach was like really everyone loved Zach and there was this Galifianakis and it was all. All jokes. It was no. like there was there was all just one linery kind of comics. Like yeah. B.J. Novak was just like Morgan Murphy, Morgan Dan Murphy, Mance. Dan Mance. Like all these uh, comics were just. And I tried so hard to just uh, to try and just be uh, like a one-liner comic. I'm a terrible one-liner comic. I couldn't I do, can't it. do it. Either. I couldn't get my thoughts out so succinctly to be able to like. And but like everyone was doing. Like, Dimitri was doing that out here, yeah. and it was just that was all jokes, which is funny because it went from such a rambly place and just became. But they were do jokes. they were doing the. Um, that's the thing with the with alternative comedy. It's just like it's at least one level of irony deep. Yeah. So it wasn't that yeah. they were doing, you know, they were doing one line jokes, but in a in a way that's like I know these are one line jokes. Yeah. And so it was a different it was a different presentation. So it wasn't yeah. like a Catskill. Well, that's thing. what I loved about Galifianakis too is that it seemed like he hated himself for what he was saying on stage, and it was just like it added a whole character level. I loved watching him crush on the SNL monologue. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. That's I mean, what it should be. That's what those monologues should be. Did yeah. you see it? Did you see yeah. it? It was... F- 
but I mean, it was just Zach doing being Zach, and you know, yeah. the piano, and but it just it was so refreshing to see a genuinely funny person with an act, right? Like, and you put them before that audience, and I, I guess the opening sketch didn't go over as well, so they were starved for you know comedy. It's like, when was the last time you did a? Do you ever do like drop-ins on smaller rooms, like bringer rooms or whatever? Yeah, yeah definitely. Uh, and my friend Andrew Donnelly said. Oh, you know, you go into those bringer rooms, and if you're a comic who has any experience, you just fucking crush because people are so thirsty for, like, you know, like tested material and jokes, right, right. Yeah. you know, and then you just clean up. Yeah, I th- you know, I think that, uh, to your point, like, the Zach thing is, like, like one of the most important, you know, this is going to sound really dramatic. It's one of the most important things for comedy, the success of Zach, because he's a substance guy who's not, like, He's not there because, uh, and this is not a criticism of anyone, everyone, everyone succeeding in stand-up is great. Right. But, like, Zach is kind of like, you know, you know, Conan succeeding and Letterman succeeding. It's like the substance, there's a unique style, and it's, you know, that's great. You know, that's much better than, like, this presenter kind of mentality uh you know this you know reality show kind of like you look at i mean i look at people magazine i don't even know who any of these fuckers are right right and i'm like so it's like so zach is not going to be on the cover of rolling stone because he's cute right you know what i mean i mean i think he's adorable he's so squeezable you just want to just want to pinch his beard when substance wins it's always good yeah it's not a criticism of anyone that's had success i mean foxworthy succeeding and you know Lewis Black and Dane it's like that's all good for comedy and that's not a criticism of them but like you know Zach is like a unique kind of like uh, you know eccentric that's succeeding kind of like Conan is like a true nerd so when he succeeded it's like he was educating mm-hmm. you know what yeah. I mean? like when like when I when I and I know she will when Bamford hits big yeah. that's going to be another one I mean yeah. it's like it's such a you know, I look at people like Zach, and I look at people like Maria Bamford, and you know, I feel like in my own writing, you know, I can I can sort of work out what's funny, and then in front of a crowd, I can fine tune it and connect with them, and you know, I get surprised a lot by what they like and what they don't like. But but you look at people like Zach and Maria, and you just go, they are coming from an entirely different plane. Like that is yeah. a whole other. They just fucking breathe this specific comedy voice, and yeah, it's yeah. so. I'm not jealous in the sense because I can't I can't do it and it's that's what they do. But I'm 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 sort of jealous in a positive sense. Like right. oh, it's so exciting that you know I wish I could be a part of that because it's so yeah. amazing. But it's I, I love watching it. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. By the way, you and I have the same manager. I'm, I'm sure you might know that. Oh, yes, um, I do know and, that. And um, before your last special, he goes, "All right, Jim's got like 15 minutes on bowling, and it's gonna piss you off." Because my dad was a professional yes, bowler, yes. and I have yet to write any bowling jokes because I can't. I'm too close to it. I couldn't figure <laughs> out what's funny about it. I'm too like the stuff that's the stuff that you know that you're really close to in bowling. I could not make funny at all, and I was not mad. I was delighted yeah. by your 15 minutes of bowling material, and every, each joke I was like, "Why didn't I fucking? It was right there!" <laughs> like you, you just, you, it was gorgeous. Yeah, no, that's fun. It's, you know, it's weird. I wish there was, you know, it's like when you're an observational guy, finding new, and when you're a food observational guy, finding new topics is like, you know, because there's also some, you know, it's like any junk food 
similar to Hot Pockets is Hot Pockets. Right. Any yeah. indulgence food, similar to bacon or cake, is an indulgence food. Right. So, like, where do you go from there? It's like, all right, you know, I've got, like, seafood stuff, but it's... And it's, you know, on this last special, I was like, I'm not going to do any food. No food whatsoever. <laughs> and then, like, the bacon stuff came out. And, but it's weird. Like, the topic stuff, it's... You know, it's like there's no reason why I should even have a chunk on bowling. You know, I might <laughs> set it up like I do bowling, but I never, you know, I wrote some, you know, we wrote some jokes on bowling and then we went bowling. Mm -hmm. But it's <laughs> it's weird, you know, like, and it's, you know, it sounds dishonest, but it's it's kind of the um, the observational kind of mentality. You know, it's like you can have a Cinnabon and write about it. But, like, there's some topics, you know, like camping. It's like, it's not like I go camping ever. But I think I mean. that's totally within your wheelhouse. I mean, like, the, you know, because you, you, part of your, part of where you come from is like, I'm a lazy guy. I'm just this lazy guy. Yeah. And bowling, like a lazy guy who likes to eat food, that's in that world. Yeah, yeah. It's no, totally it in that world. It fits that point of view. Yeah. Do, do you, did you kind of, um, did you kind of set out to have, uh, you know, because, you know, I notice your specials have overall themes yeah. to them, you know, like the lazy white guy or the, yeah. or, or, or the food theme. And, like, do you set out to do that or do you just write a bunch of stuff and take a step back and go, oh, I guess I'm writing about this, so we'll make it about this? Well, you know, it's, uh, there's, you know, there definitely is some rewriting and, you know, it's like, you know, anyone who's dealt with a callback, you're like, oh, you know what, I could call this back here. So there is kind of some understanding looking at it and seeing what an overall arc is. When you do a lot of our shows, you know, you have to have the beginning, middle, and end. But I think it's weird. It's more of a message of uh, how, you know, after like, you know, they say 10 years, you learn your point of view. Mm -hmm. It's like, there's a bit of me, you know, I am a lazy kind of food obsessed guy, but it, it's kind of strange when you see that point of view. I mean, you're the, the nerdist, right. you know what I mean? And so there, you know, there might have been some identification with that growing up all through your life. But like when you see that's your point of view, you know, like you, know, like you guys, you know, the pie song and all mm -hmm. that, it's mm -hmm. like, you're like, wow, so this is my identity. I mean, maybe you didn't have No, I, I totally understand what you mean because it, um, you know, especially in LA, the way you, do comedy. And by the way, LA is the worst place to learn how to do comedy, and that's where I learned how to do comedy. It's you're, you're you're writing jokes for an audience that is a one one hundredth of what the rest of the audiences in the world are, and you know if people laugh, usually what you're writing is too inside. Like you can't do audition jokes in other places. But um, but anyway, what happens is you you can't really ever do long sets in Los Angeles, so you keep doing a collection of seven to twelve minute sets in LA. And you never, you know, until you go on the road, you don't get a sense of how everything fits together. Right. And it's, uh, and then what I found was, oh my God, I actually have a chunk about being from the South. And I'm, I never set out to be, right. I'm a Southerner. I right. never. But, you know, like, you do like 10 different sets and you write one kind of redneck joke in there. And then all of a sudden you realize like, oh, that's something in me yeah. that was trying to get out that I didn't realize. So I completely understand uh, your point about it's that. Very, it's very strange, too. And... You know, like I talked to Louis C.K. about this, and he kind of, you know, he, you know, he kind of reinvented himself. I mean, he was very kind of, he was an eccentric observationalist, and now he's kind of an autobiograph. I don't know how to describe him. You know, um, 
just kind of, uh, you know, talking off the top of his head, mm -hmm. biographical. He's much more biographical now. And so, like, there is something, you know, like, you can make a conscious effort to make that shift. But, you know, for me, it's like, there's, there's some kind of, like, um, there's something about, like, you know, you write, and, you know, like, I remember when I first did my, uh, did my first special, everyone was like, it's unbelievable, there's no curse words, congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> Here, welcome, bring the Christian right and the Mormons over, meet Jim Gaffigan. <laughs> and the weird thing is, is, like, that was not some elaborate plan or some, it was like, I literally had, like, curse words Occasionally, when I would do Letterman or Conan, I would have to take them out, and then I'd have to rewrite. So I just took them out. Mm -hmm. And I also, you know, you have writing kind of uh, assignments that you have for yourself. You know, like you'll see that you're using a word too often. But so I took cur curse words out, kind of like just thinking that it was relatively uncreative of me mm -hmm. to just throw in an F bomb. Mm -hmm. And so the weird thing is, is like then you get kind of you get kind of uh, put in the position where people are like, you're the food guy. <laughs> hey, food guy, lazy guy. The and so then bomb. if I talk about, so if I go to something like, I, you know, we wrote this chunk on narcissism, you know, it's like I'm, I'm a darker person than my act. But Boo, like, that's not food. No, but like if to... I'm talking about narcissism, you know, it, it, either it's funny or not, but it's relatively new. There is a bit of like, you know, the you know the audience kind of like ha 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 ha. ha. <laughs> <laughs> is, is, is that some yeah. type of sandwich? How does is, this fit yeah. into some sort so, of pocket? Or you know, so it is kind of like a, a, which is probably why Dane did that. You know, his last special, which was much more edgy. So it's like it's weird how you. I'm not making any sense, but it's weird how the journey of your act and your point of view. Because I think that stand-up is all about, you know, how we were funny in real life and putting it on stage mm -hmm. and making it appeal to a group. And it's that constant kind of movement of that and has you evolve, you know. So, like, Louis, you know, CK was always a brilliant writer, but now he's kind of transferring some of his, you know, single parenthood stuff on stage. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some of his anger associated with just the difficulties of life. And so he made that shift good. But, like, as you evolve, it's kind of like when you see, like, the, uh, the really young comic who starts when he's 18 and he's really funny. And his persona is kind of stuck in that. And when you see him at 35 <laughs> and he's doing the, um, the getting wasted shit. Right. It looks a little bit like, dude, you're 35 and you're talking about blackout drunk. That's like a red flag. Right. You know, I hope I'm making sense, but it's yeah. like, it's, the audience kind of tells you who you are. Well, it is a, it's a relationship. Like, yeah. you know, because there, there are some comics who kind of have the point of view of like, fuck you audience, I'm going to say what I want to say and you're going to listen. If you like, you yeah. can go fuck yourself in the mouth. Yeah. And I sort of feel like, no, it's a relationship. You give to them. In return, the audience has to give a little bit back. They have to make right. some effort. To, so that the show is fun, they got to kind of come together and be willing to to give yeah. it up. You can't always force them, and um, you know. So I, I I totally feel that you know it's a it's a really perfect little ecosystem. You yeah. know, almost 
almost like weirdly Darwinian. You kind of are shaped by your environment yeah. In, yeah. In, in a weird sort of way. Well, it's just because you know you're going, you you say certain jokes, and then like you realize like the kind of jokes that people respond to more, and so you lean towards that direction more and more, and then like that's how you be- become who you are on stage. I mean, you really, I know, do you, um, do you, is everything, do you write everything out, like, like in, in detail, or do you, how, or do you transcribe stuff? Typically, yeah. I mean, it's, there's something of, um, just to rewrite it, and, you know, word economy, I mean, I'm a slow-talking guy, I, you know, I'm very Atel-like, which is machine gun, not long story with mm-hmm. a big payoff. It's like, you know, you hit, you keep hitting them, so you, you know, you want to be kind of Rod Carew or Ryan Sandberg rather than, you know, Barry Bonds. Sports reference, guys. Yeah. And so... <laughs> These guys are round ball shooters? <laughs> yep. And ball. so... Um, but that's the very Attell kind of approach, mm-hmm. you know. Or even, you know, George Carlin. You know, it's like bing, 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 bing. Or even Seinfeld. I mean, Seinfeld is more, you know, kind of uh, slow and easy. But um, the thing is, is, you know, that... You know, personality-wise, I mean, there's definitely some of, you know, you know, the inside voice. I'm a slow talker, and so the the inside voice talking for the audience. I've kind of weeded it out a fair amount, but that was like a necessity in New York because I was slow talking, and then I would, someone would say something, you know, they'd be like, yeah, and I'd be like, so I have to keep talking, and where people in New York comics were louder, I would get more quiet, so it was a little bit of the E.F. Hutton thing. Well, what's what's amazing about another reference from thirty years. <laughs> E.F. Hutton. I remember the commercials, but I um, I I think that uh, the inside voice was you know even if it was the byproduct of you know your environment or however yeah. however you came to it, that's another one of those things where you're like, God damn it, that's so perfect. It just it just I feel like it makes you bulletproof in a way that no matter how a joke goes. You can you can you can do that and and instantly the audience is on your side and it's it's so it's so spectacular. Yeah, there's like you know I I, I love it and I you know but I it's got to be selectively used but it's also it's an additional point of view on a joke, so you can have your own individual point of view but the if I'm speaking for an audience member they can have an additional point of view, and it can be critical but also funny so. The whole idea of like, particularly if I'm wearing a topic down, the the inside voice's point of view can address that. And if you address something, like even if you're in an argument with a, a friend, if you if you if you communicate awareness to mm-hmm. them that you understand their point of view, you'll you'll get a lot of credit yeah. for that. And yeah. so I think Patton Oswalt worded it that way is. Uh, the highest form of comedy is exposing a truth. That's my Pat Oswalt. Was it like he was here? Was it like he was right here? Yeah. I thought he so. Was. Yeah, like you're you're exposing a, you're exposing a truth. I mean, not to, you know, not to, I don't want to get too. I mean, you know, I don't I don't want to be too arty about it. So I don't mean to take it in that direction. But I but I do think you are you're 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 exposing a truth to the audience, and that's instantly funny to them because they're relating to it immediately. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do the the idea that. Uh, I know you know you said weeding out the swears, which I really wish I could do. I, I swear too much on stage. But you know that's some of it is the, the the strange thing is like you know it's like I mean I could go off on this. America has like this obsession with you know you know we come from an art form that is built around uh, attacking censorship. Mm-hmm. You know Lenny Bruce and uh, you know Carlin and all this stuff and. 
the so the 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 whole notion of getting rid of uh, curse words or working without props or you know it's just like it's all relative you know what I mean it's it doesn't really mean anything you know like Lewis Black if he wasn't cursing it wouldn't make sense it his makes sense so it's like and it's like your personality I mean I've known you for a while it's like you know it's not as if um, you know like if you you know if your point of view tells you to curse it does there's nothing wrong with it but if I'm talking about like details of an elevator or an escalator it's it's not necessary right you know but you know there's also I listen to uh, not that I listen to tons of comedy but I have this uh, Lenny Bruce uh, thing on my iPod and I was listening to it and he actually says exactly what I just said I'm copying him <laughs> no, but, no he but he kind of, you know like someone you know we kind of think of as this leader in censorship right and he was like yeah you know the curse words you know I use them if I'm if a character if it's necessary for the character but otherwise I don't because you know it's not necessary well that's the key it's about it's about economizing and for me I just feel like there are places where it's not necessary like if you use the word fucking at the same that you would use um just like word filler yeah. then it's sort of unnecessary and it's I feel both. and I feel like <laughs> I feel like it makes it more powerful if you can economize and use it where it's necessary like in, when, in Bill Cosby's himself special where the only swear word he says is, you know, something about like, um, oh, my, my friend says he takes cocaine because it intensifies your personality. And I said, what if you're an asshole? And it's the yeah. only time he swore in that special. And it was like thunderous yeah. uh, applause right. because it was so well used in that, in right. that context. But there's also, you know, if you're cursing, if you're doing a spot at um, Largo. Mm-hmm. Cursing is is it's part not, of the vernacular. Yeah, it's not like um, it's not going to have the effect. You know, like if you're doing a show at uh, you know one in the morning, you might need to curse to get their attention. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's I, I I just also think that like uh, I mean I really do believe this. Like comedians do what they can do, and so like when people get credit for being. Uh, this incredible social satirist, like, wow, he really went after Bush. It's like, no, that's how he writes. Right. That's his personality. Or, wow, this guy, he, he does great one-liners. It's like, no, that's how he writes. That's yeah. him. That's you know, him. I know him. Yeah. You know, he does great characters and he does great one-liners. You know, so, like, I think there's, you know, there's too much credit or criticism given. You know, like, people are like, you know, you know. I remember like when Dane made it big. People were like, "He's hopping all around the stage." I'm like, "That's his personality. Yeah. That's what he does." So it's like, you know, it's like you know the way he emotes and stuff like that. I just kind of feel like there's kind of, uh, and this is also coming from the New Yorker who believes that you sit on your heel and the joke's more important than the personality. Mm -hmm. But there is, a, you know, I do believe that like comedians do what they can. So like. If you are, um, you know, if you're Patton, it's like, that's Patton's thing, you know. And if you're Zach or Maria, you know, like Bamford, it's like no one else is doing that, right? right? But, you know, I'm sure there's some people, you know, she does those weird voices. It's like she's not doing weird <laughs> yeah, voices. Yeah. She's doing her comedy. She's expressing. She's actually doing normal voices. Her voice is the one that's weird. That's yeah, the weird yeah. one. <laughs> so. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's funny, you know, to, because obviously in the comedy circles, Dane uh, Dane is a big is a big hot button for some people. Yeah. I mean, like sends people into an incendiary rage. Yeah, 
I never had a problem with him. He was personally rude to me once, and that that was sort of the ah fuck really all right. Yeah. But um uh, you know, but I remember when I was younger and I would watch him, and I thought he was a phenomenal writer. But then yeah. I just felt like the more famous he got, it just sort of became less about. Like I saw a special of his, and there wasn't you know there weren't as many jo- jokes. It was just more like. You know when you're at the movie theater and the preview comes on and then you talk at it and there was an applause break and that was it and I and I felt like oh fuck I know you're smarter than that like I know like go somewhere with it and maybe that's just me being It'll, selfish. He always confused me. Like I always was confused by people loving it so much because I went to school. I was in Boston through 2006, so I was in college and everyone was like, "This is amazing. You have to listen to this." And I would listen to it and I'd be like, "He sounds like you know he's having a good time up there, but I don't really see it." I don't yeah. understand why you guys think this is the funniest thing. Maybe, maybe now's a good time to introduce uh, Matt Meyer. Oh, here. Oh, and, uh, sorry, everybody. Ray. I forgot you to guys I didn't are, even you guys introduce you. It's you know, okay. the, I think the Dane thing is very interesting because in full disclosure, I definitely, you know, I was this guy in New York struggling. He came down from Boston. You know, he did a set at the cellar and it was just like, yeah. you know. And so there was definitely jealousy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was the uh, the antithesis of what, I believe stylistically, which is the material is the king and you sit on your heels and you do it. But that being said, I mean, I think something to consider also with Dan, because I do think he is a good writer, but I also think that like success ruins everyone. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like how many, you know, I mean, does I that have to happen even, though? Does it have want, to happen? I don't even want to say names, but it's like how many great specials of all of Carlin's specials are that great. Like that special the that we love, two. that suicide. The last two were great. You know, but some of it is like, there's parts of those where I'm like, not my bag, you know? Yeah. A bag, like I say, a bag like that. <laughs> hey, <laughs> hey, groovy. Not my bag. You guys want to go pick up hey, some foxy ladies? very happy. <laughs> but, hey guys, can you pass the grass? But, you know, the, you know, I can't believe I'm sitting here sounding like an, uh, but the thing about Dane is like, how many hours has he done? I'm, Five. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He did like yeah. two hours in one year, and yeah. so like Louis on that track too, where he wanted to do the Carlin year. thing, where he's like An each hour, year, yeah. whole new hour, and the whole year builds up to that hour, and then I shoot a special yeah. at the end, which is a very British thing too. For me, I feel like ah, like that, same bag. Yeah, like bags. <laughs> it's the same bag in England bag. <laughs> like farts or bum burps and <laughs> bum, bum burps. No, but like you know, it, you know, supposedly at Edinburgh, I've never been there, but you know, you write a new hour every year. Wow. And I'm like, well, you know, how about you could either do that or you could do really good jokes. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but that's, that would be the other that's, alternative. That's a cultural thing. But I do think that you know, I mean, uh, you know, the th- whether you're you're into Dane or not, it's undeniable that he is a a, a really good comedian. Well, he's a workhorse. And, and like, there's, also, there's no question. It's different things. You know, it's like there's plenty of comics. You know, all of us individually that are very successful. And maybe you guys are looking at me. And just going, you know, I don't think, I don't get it. I just don't get it. There's plenty of people that get it, but I don't get it. And so, but I think that Dane's, you know, the explosion of his success and then kind of like it was kind of the Sylvester Stallone thing where people felt like they could almost bond in bagging on him, bag again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I know so, it became very, like, it became very chic in comedy yeah, circles I'm to be like, fuck you know, Dane Cook, There's you know? a contrarian spirit in me where I'm like, well, hold on. Well, you know yeah, I mean? and I don't, I mean, you know, I, I, again, if I would have better feelings about him if I didn't have a terrible experience with him, and it, it was, uh, 
I mean, I, I, mean, I should just say it because it's rather than just alluding to something. But Mike Furman and I were performing at Aspen one year, and Dane was the he was on the show right before us. Yeah, and he just went way long, and they were lighting him, and he was like, "I see the light," but then he he like went over like a half hour. Yeah, and it wasn't like he had to get off on a good joke. He was fucking slaughtering the whole time, right. and we had to cut our show short. And yeah, it just he never like he was just kind of gruff about it, and never apologized, and never and yeah. You know, look, it's petty of me to even well, still I, give a shit, but I just sort of feel like that was a moment where I was like, you know what? Fuck you now. Because, you know, like, I, I can't abide. You should just be cool to people. You yeah, should just no, be that's, cool. That's, no that's, that, to. You know, but that's rock and that's the rock and roll mentality, right? I know, I, mean, I know, I know. And so, like, every you know. interview where I, you know, where they, they take out. And you know interviews, you can talk yeah. for an hour and they'll pull out whatever chunks to create the, the perspective that they want. But, you know, yeah. when you see the perspective of, of him being like, yeah, I just reached really deep into my soul for this next special and it's stuff like, what's up with chocolate or whatever? It's yeah. like, come on, you know, <laughs> like, chocolate before. you know, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, let's, let's also consider this again on the, uh, the uh, apologist thing. It's like this, first of all, we are people going on stage and making strangers laugh. We're fucking crazy. Oh, to make a, to make people crazy. to try to make people like us that we don't know is yeah. ultimately we're narcissistic. We're trying to make strangers yeah. laugh. So you know, red flag. Right. That's the first. <laughs> Let's start there. Red flag. Let's start there. Okay. Um, he um, also, you know, the success you know happened relatively young, happened fast, mm-hmm. happened furious, and so it's like. And, you know, like maybe he was never, he, you know, maybe so, no one went long before him. But in his belief system, yeah. you know, now I sound like some therapist. In his belief <laughs> system, it's, you know, that's what you do. You right. go over and well, you... Well, there, 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 there are a handful of comics who will walk into a club unannounced. And because they're famous, they'll do like an hour and a half. And everyone, every other young comic who's supposed yeah. to perform that night doesn't get to perform. Or seven yeah. hours. But you know what's weird? It's like I remember when Chris Rock was huge and he would do that at the comic strip. I was not angry at him. You know what I mean? But some of it was, you know... I mean, so there is, but you know, you were doing a two-man show, right? Yeah, at the time, yeah, yeah, so yeah. So it's yeah. like I was just doing a fifteen-minute spot, but I don't know. It's weird because uh, there, there's something about like the um, there's something about our culture that is just kind of like you know, Dane was kind of like put in that mill where they're like everyone loves him. Jennifer Aniston's friends with him. Blah, blah, blah. Right, right, right. And I'm just like, I just saw it coming. I was just like, <laughs> oh, you no. know, it's not going to end. You know, it's just going to be like, there's going to be a certain, you know, just, you know, either, either the public's going to turn on him, which it feels like they might have on some level. He's still doing fine though. Like he yeah. still yeah. out, he sells out massive venues. Yeah. I mean, he will, I think for, for a long time. He no. just did Madison Square Garden like <laughs> two months ago. Is that a bringer room? Yeah. We'll do a bringer show at Madison Square Garden. Yeah. You could. Look, you can do it now or if you can show up with 30,000 people. All right. So, but there is something about, I mean, I'm also somebody, like, I just like to do my stuff and go, you know, again, I'm crazy. I'm going on stage making strangers laugh. When did you feel the shift? Because, I mean, just having had the same manager for quite a while, it was like, I was, I've been there when you went from, you know... I'm. I don't know specific numbers. I'm guessing making like two grand a week at a at a, at a comedy club doing right. seven shows, and then within a year it was like, oh my god, Jim is selling out theaters. I mean, like what, you know? I assume part a lot of it had to do with the it hour was, special. It was, yeah, Beyond the Pale, 
And, and you're a phenomenal uh, online person, by the way. You have a phenomenal uh, email list. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, but it's like, you know, you look at Twitter and it's like, what do I got? 150,000? It's like, I've never been, you know, like, or even when I was on MySpace, it's like, I never had that many of them. I mean, I definitely worked it, which is a sin in comedy, right? <laughs> but it's smart. But, um, but, and some of it was like, you know, panic, you know, it's like, oh, I'm going to Phoenix. Uh, hey, everyone from Phoenix, you come to my show. So there, there was some of that, but I feel like, you know, it was luck. I mean, I think some of why I could do what I did was the success of Dane, the success of the blue collar mm -hmm. guys, the success of, uh, you know, David Cross and Patton. So it's like, I was, you know, so maybe uh, if if someone bought Dane's album, maybe their second or third album might have been mine. And Especially with iTunes now. And, oh, you might if also... If someone bought Patton's album, they might also have bought mine. And then, you know, you know, even Larry the Cable Guy, you know, like... I never begrudge anyone, whether I like their yeah. comedy or not, I never begrudge anyone's success because to get to that level is fucking hard work. Yeah. Like, it does not... And it's a lot of luck. It, does, it is yeah. luck, too. It's a lot of luck. I mean, it's like my... Hard work you know, and luck. My, you know, my hour special, it's like, it didn't, um, it didn't really, uh, you know, it didn't have huge ratings or anything like that, but Comedy Central re-aired it and re-aired it and, you know, eventually it just kind of got there. And, you know, in, you know, from what it seems, it's like when I was in college, it's like MTV was on in the dorm room and, you know, and then... I think during Beyond the Pale, Comedy Central was on in the dorm room, and now I don't know what's on, you know. But I don't know. I mean, so I think a lot of it, but I also have been, you know, you know, I remember when I would go to cities and do, you know, um, the improvs or whatever, I would always sell well because, uh, and it wasn't just, you know, like I kind of described it like there was like always two elements. This is me being a narcissist, but <laughs> and there would there would be two elements. So like people would know me from the '70s show and stand up. So then they would go, they, you know, they would know me from Sex in the City and stand up, mm -hmm. and then they would go, and or they would know me from Super Troopers and stand up. So there was a lot of different reason, not a huge reason to get people there. But enough, but enough, yeah, and a lot of and a lot of luck, you know, and so. And a lot of people in that habit of maybe going to a theater because of Dane, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, we're at the end of the hour, but um, we've been talking with Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah. And um, who's an excellent comedian. Have I sounded like Prove a dick? It. I'm always nervous when I get Prove in. It. No, you don't sound like a dick. It, it is, you, you, have to, you have to understand that it can be a dicey road just to start talking seriously about comedy. Where, yeah. But, yeah. But it's not because, you know, like, I feel like people who listen, and certainly the three of us, are just so fascinated by the process. I don't. I don't think we're not talking about it and coming from a place of like, "Hey, man, we got comedy's number." We're coming from a place of curious, inquisitive people who want to yeah. see what your experience is like versus ours and other people's because yeah. we're just trying to figure it out too. It's like you know? there's one. There's one thing you'll always find with comics is that like everyone has that story of just after a show going to like a diner and then talking until like four in the morning yeah. about yeah. comedy. And yeah. it's, there's a certain type of person that gets that idea. We live with it and we think we think about it nonstop. Yeah. yeah, you know, it's in, and there's different philosophies. Like it's like I've had these conversations with like Jordan Rubin and Todd Glass and Ian Bag and you know going back like 18 years me and Geraldo 
you know, I remember Geraldo wanted to be like Brian Regan and I wanted to be like Dave Attell mm-hmm. when we started and then it kind of like flipped. You know? <laughs> so it's, it's kind of funny. So Jim, you're on tour uh, sort of constantly, right? It just, you, you, you do dates well, throughout the... Well, I'm doing, I'm trying to do a lot less just because I, you know, I, you know, I went crazy. You go crazy doing that, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like traveling. I mean, maybe, you know, some people are, you know, but you just, it's, I was doing these shows and then I was doing meet and greets and I just kind of like, you go crazy where you're like, you're like, all right, let's drink. And then, you know, like, and then you wake up and you're just like, and then you get back home and you're toast. There's something about like when you go to like Phoenix and do the improv where you're at least there every single day. But you know this when you do like when you're like in an airport and connecting through, there's a certain emotional tax, I almost feel. Oh, yeah. It's a writ, you know, it's, it's, again, it's like complaining about. Right, sure. a, you know, it's an incredible out. gift. Oh, this yeah. gold is so heavy on oh, my back. Yeah, no, but, but I know what you mean. It definitely makes you go crazy. Well, thank you, Jim Gaffigan. Uh, thank you, G- Gaffigan. Gaffigan. Do you know Jim Gaffigan? He's Gaffigan. a comedian. There's a C in there. There's a C, a silent C. Uh, thanks so much, man. We sure. really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks. The end. Hey, everybody! Thanks for listening to the Nerdist podcast. Just a couple of quick announcements before I release you into the wild. I do stand-up comedy, live, in front of people, and uh, you should come out sometime. I don't want to build it up too much, but it'll be the greatest fucking show you've ever seen in your life. Monday, April 5th in Los Angeles, we'll be doing the Nerdist Podcast Live at Largo. Our special guest will be Mr. Adam Savage of Mythbusters. Then on April 10th, I'll be going up to Seattle, Washington, and performing with my buddy Mike Furman at the Showbox at the Market. Then, just added, do you live in or near Bloomington, Indiana? Sure you do! Well, then come out and see me perform from April 28th to May 1st at the Funny Bone. And as always, please watch Web Soup. It's a television show on G4. That's a network. For information on this and any other Nerdist-related stuff, go to Nerdist.com, naturally. And if you want to email us a question or a comment, you may do so at podcast at Nerdist.com. Thanks again for listening, guys. Have a great rest of the whatever day it is you listen to this. Now leaving Nerdist.com. I'm Shimon Liai, and I have a new podcast called The Competition. Every year, 50 high school senior girls compete in a massive scholarship competition. I wouldn't say I have an ego problem, but I'm extremely competitive. All of the competitors are used to being the best and the brightest. And they're all vying for a huge cash prize. This will probably be the most intense thing you've ever gone through in your life. I remember that feeling because I was one of them. I lost. But now I'm coming back as a judge and also a kind of teen girl anthropologist. Because if you want to understand what it's like to be a young woman in America today, the competition's not a bad place to start. Hopefully no one will die on station night. From Pineapple Street Studios and Wondery, this is The Competition. Follow The Competition on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to The Competition early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.